Welcome to the Genuine Creative Podcast with Melissa Hurt. Here's where I'll be helping creatives get through mindset blocks, step into wellness and self-care practices, and overcome imposter syndrome so that you can live genuinely as a creative person, putting your greatest gift out into the world. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's episode is sponsored by author Renee Johnson. Thank you so much for your support. And y'all check out Renee's work. We need to support and lift one another. Today's episode is going to be a little different because I'm not teaching a tool and I'm not teaching necessarily a mindset shift. I'm sharing a personal experience with the hope that by airing this out, you might find commonality with it. And maybe I can help you put the finger on an experience that you're having, but maybe you couldn't identify exactly what it was. And I'm talking about grief. Now, we all know grief, obviously. We've all experienced grief. I have experienced a lot of grief in the last three or four years with many, many changes in my life. The most recent incident really being the passing of my dad and my stepmom about a year ago. They passed 11 months apart from one another, and it was just a very, very, very challenging year for me, and I still grieve them all the time, but when I feel that loss, I can instantly recognize it and saying, oh, I'm feeling grief because I miss them or I'm longing to talk to them, and it makes sense to me, but the grief that I'm going to talk about today, I was feeling, but I couldn't understand why I was feeling it. It was a different flavor of grief, if you will. And then I realized that it is mid-August and all of my friends are getting ready for college teaching and I am not. And that is what I'm grieving. The grief I am feeling is based off of a complete change in my lifestyle that I've recently taken. And even though it's a choice that I made to better my life, I realized that I am grieving not just the person who I was, but I'm grieving the ritual of what I did every year and not being able to do it. So let me give you some framework here. And as I share my story, I invite you to think about your own story and see if you can put your finger on the pulse of what your experience might be as well. So I started teaching in the college classroom a little more than 20 years ago. I started it when I was getting my MFA and directing pedagogy, and I was teaching public speaking. I had no idea I wanted to be a teacher. I took the adjunct position to make some money. But lo and behold, I absolutely loved teaching students. I loved it so much, I felt like I was finally home. And so in two and a half years of getting my MFA, I taught 10 courses in public speaking because I just really couldn't get enough of it. And then after I graduated, I landed a position as the head of speech and drama at a community college in Southwest Kansas, rewrote one curriculum, completely created another. I was producing and directing shows, teaching many, many classes, and it was fantastic. I knew what I was doing, I felt competent, and it was wonderful. I left that position to get my PhD, and during my PhD, I had a teaching fellowship. 
mostly teaching acting throughout my terms there. They did terms, not semesters there. Once I taught theater history, and it was just great. I love teaching college students. But something that I noticed during my doctorate and a professor confirmed with me is that there was a phenomenon happening where students were either teacups or Krispies. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, the teacups are because they're so frail that they'll break. You give them one bit of criticism and they're going to break from it. The Krispies are students who are so burned out they can't handle anything. And that phenomenon had happened because parents had helicoptered over them throughout middle school and high school that students didn't know how to handle the rigor of being an adult living on their own and managing their own schedules and managing deadlines and all of that. And it made sense to me because I was seeing it in my students. Not a lot, but I was definitely seeing it. So I could understand how to manage that. But over the years, as I was teaching more and more, it was becoming a bigger, bigger issue in my classroom. I was not teaching the year I wrote my dissertation. And it wasn't until maybe two years after finishing my dissertation that I was offered an adjunct teaching position at my alma mater teaching voice and speech. And I was thrilled to do it. Here I was teaching students who genuinely loved theater. They were theater majors, taking theater in a program that was very serious, where they had a lot of professional opportunities around them in the community. And they wanted to just grow and grow and grow. So these students could handle constructive criticism when it had to do with craft. And that's all my criticism ever was on was how they could do a skill better or how they could think through a problem in a different way, things like that. And so I taught there for about four years, then moved to New York, and it took about maybe a year or so before I landed another adjunct teaching position at a college up in upstate New York. I was so happy to be back in the classroom. I just feel like you could put me in a college classroom just tell me what year the students are, and I can teach them something. Just give me 90 minutes with a group of students, and they will leave that 90 minutes with a skill in some way. And I love that about myself. I love that I've had so much training and so much experience that I can do that. But what I noticed is that the students this time around were more and more resistant to constructive criticism. They were more and more overwhelmed by deadlines. These students had been so misguided and really sold short by the intense helicoptering and the pressures of high school to get into college that they were just toast by the time I had them their freshman year. So they needed a lot more support. The students were definitely more on the teacups and crispies spectrum. <laughs> there were a lot more students who were very fragile and had a very hard time receiving anything less than an A. They would either become recluse and literally stop coming to class for weeks, not respond to my emails, or they would become combative and very angry and defensive and hostile. 
it's something that's very different for me because I was trained and I went to school in an era where you got your feedback from your teacher and you took your feedback from your teacher. But these students were really changing the game for me. Now you might think, well then just complain to the administration about it. But here's the catch. Academia has lost a lot of money since COVID and they will do anything to keep students in school. And so many, many times the powers that be above me are encouraging me to go ahead and do whatever accommodations I can to keep students in the program. Be lenient, lower my standards. Don't grade papers off of grammar. Just go off of content and even still be easy on what your expectations are for a paper. Really telling me to lower the bar so low that it didn't feel like I was teaching a college-level class and I felt like I was offering a disservice to them because they were not getting prepared beyond college graduation, whether that's the profession or grad school. So after 20 years, I began to feel like I was in a relationship with somebody and they were now a completely different person. <laughs> thought, well, when I started being in a relationship with you, I was feeling competent and happy and challenged and excited. And now in this relationship, I'm feeling lost and frustrated and that I have to throw out 60% of what I want to teach because the bar has been lowered so much that it's just a completely different situation. Now, add the complexity to all of this that when you are an adjunct, you are paid close to nothing. <laughs> not really. You're, you're paid something, but it's not a living wage by any stretch of the imagination. And academia knows that, but they don't really care, I don't think, because otherwise they would pay more. Adjunct teachers make up a very large percentage of the teaching body at most colleges and universities, yet they are the least paid, and that's saving colleges a lot of money. But when you start off as an adjunct, I don't think you ever really plan to stay an adjunct. For the most part, now some, some adjuncts are professionals who enjoy teaching a college class here or there because they really love that student, but they also keep their career. That's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the adjunct professor who is doing it to gain the experience and to keep their CV current, who wants the tenure track position. But the tenure track positions are now few and far between, or they have very high demands on them for what you need to do to actually get tenure to the degree that work-life balance is out of the question for at least seven years. <laughs> Well, I value work-life balance. I value my family. And it's important for me to be a mom and be present for her and not have to do shows in a different state because I did interview at a college where that was their requirement for tenure was you had to go out of state to get your professional experience. Otherwise, it didn't count towards your tenure. Well, I'm not willing to do that. So academia is not paying adjuncts much. Adjuncts are keeping those jobs to stay current because they love classroom teaching and maybe still applying for tenure track positions, but those are few and far between. And after a while, for myself in that situation, I thought maybe academic teaching is no longer what I need to be doing with my life. 
Maybe it's time to completely shift gears into something else. And I spent a couple of years really wrestling with that. And finally came to the conclusion that it came down to dollars and cents. I cannot afford to stay an adjunct. And I was adjuncting while running my small business, while taking other side gigs. I was exhausted. And it was not sustainable. I made the decision to leave my teaching appointment and I secured a career as an instructional designer, which I love. I have been working as an instructional designer now since May and I'm thrilled with my work. I love my colleagues. I love the work itself. Every week is a different week and it's fantastic. I love it, love it, love it. However, I still feel grief right now. So why is that? Why would I feel grief, especially after now you know how the landscape had changed so much for me and how I love my job now? Why would I feel grief? Well, I realized that I feel grief because it's mid-August and at this time of year, my body, my mind, my spirit, my heart for the past 20 years off and on with a couple gaps of years has been looking at my student rosters, has been preparing my syllabi getting my materials together, getting my parking decal, all of those things that I do to get ready for fall semester, I am not doing now. And I feel a bit of loss about that. I wish I were teaching a student body. I wish I were giving those introductory lessons and teaching young people, young adults, how to breathe and express themselves or how to find a sense of heart and curiosity about the human condition as it has been explored on stage since the beginning of civilization as we know it. Those things are really important to me and I love them, but it's unfortunate and I grieve that I was doing it in an institution and in, really it's an academic phenomenon that doesn't necessarily want to pay a living wage for a person to share their passion. So I'm grieving. I'm feeling a sense of grief, and it might seem strange to feel grief for something even though I made the direct choice to leave it. I think I can still grieve it because I'm doing something different, and my body has not fully come to terms with what my mind has decided. My body wants to be doing something else right now, and it's just different for me. So I'm going to leave that there. I hope that this story helps you. I hope it helps you realize that grief can happen in so many different forms, in so many different ways, and that it's okay. It's okay if you've made a dramatic lifestyle shift and you are feeling a bit of grief and loss for the thing that you're no longer doing, even though you know in your soul that you're now on a clear path to your best life, it's okay to still grieve it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Let me know what you think about this. Please contact me at melissahurt.com. I'd love to hear from you. I also want to hear from you if there are any topics that you want me to do a teaching on for you. I'm here as your servant. I will offer any tool and tip I have to help you grow personally, professionally, creatively. I think we are all in this together. Thank you so much for listening. Be well.
like this show, please subscribe and leave a positive review.